Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear our sermon from our current series, The Book of James. As we read through James, we'll see how our faith in Christ should do more than just change the way we think, it should change the way we live. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us, and send us an email. morning everybody. We're in this study on the book of James and we're encouraging people to be reading through it on their own. Uh, Joining life groups, those are small groups of people who get together to study the scriptures and pray together and build relationships. So we encourage you to join one. Also uh, we have a, a devotional book that we encourage people to pick up to use to work through that because we believe as we do this together that God's gonna do something and I've just been hearing some amazing stories from life group leaders. Now, if you were to ask me what the theme was to the book of James, I would say it's faith and action. This idea that what we believe with regards to Jesus translates into our lives as being followers who basically live like he did and following his teaching. Last week, we we talked about this specifically, and I encourage people to uh, let us know how they're living out their faith in Jesus. And so it was pretty cool. We got uh, some feedback from folks, and I would encourage you to continue to give us feedback. Uh, One person is teaching and visiting prisoners in in a local prison. Uh, One family was sharing how they've adopted kids as a way of living out their faith. Um, You know, uh, some of our life group leaders just talked about what God was doing and the answered prayers as they're living out their faith in the community of a life group. And then it was really cool. One of our ministry partners, Urban Alliance, this week shared with us a letter about seven people from our congregation who are serving in ministries through Urban Alliance and how they've given just in the past quarter of the year 80 hours of service. And and that ranges from kids uh, that are uh, less than 10 years old you know, all the way to adults in their uh, 40s and 50s. So just really cool to hear those stories. Now, if you want to share with us what God's doing, we'd love to, to hear. So you can just send us an email at liveitout@valleybrook.cc. So in preparation for today's message, as we dig into the third chapter of James, would you bow your heads with me? Uh, Father, we're going to turn to your word and your word is life and your word is truth. And so I, I pray that you would speak that over us and into us. Lord, I pray that we would hear your word and that uh, it would uh, do things in us, that it would change our hearts and our minds and the way we live our lives. And Lord, it's my prayer that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight today. Amen. Words are powerful, aren't they? You know, I shared this at the, at the first service now. You know, I'm 56, so I've lived, uh, lived a bunch of decades. And, and um, you know, for, for me, when I sort of look at all of the anger and vitriol that's being spoken in our culture and in our nation, you know, it's like something I don't ever remember seeing. And so, you know, those of you who are my age or older sort of can identify with that. For those of you in your, in your teens or your 20s, um, this isn't normal. Okay, uh, um, so uh, it's, it's something that's unique. And, um, you know, I know you've noticed the angry words and, and the arguments and the, really the way speech has changed. And, and this morning we're going to dig into the, the book of James and look at that. 
But uh, to begin with, I just want to share with you some words from Ed Stetzer. He's a pastor and a, and a writer, and he, he works at Wheaton College. And, and he, he just writes this in his latest book. He says, you know, the go-to move of politicians and journalists today has become, you're a liar. And the response has been, no, I'm not. You know, the, uh, we're bombarded at every level uh, with this kind of discourse. And it's, and it's filtered uh, down or, or filtered up uh, in all of society, uh, in, all of our, uh, in all of our speech. And, and quite honestly, he writes, you know, that, that social media really has become a cesspool of conspiracy theories, of straw man arguments and schoolyard bullying. Um, you know, he says, we've reached the point where the comment section in major newspapers are a greater testament to the depravity of humanity, uh, uh, more so than the uh, th theology of the reformers all put together some, uh, you know, uh, hundreds of years ago. He even writes, many of the publishers of these uh, newspapers have removed the comment section from their papers online. Uh, you know, and the reality is, is the cumulative effect of all of this is that it ratchets up the outrage in our culture. Um, and, and it's one of those things that unfortunately feels normal now. Now, he, he writes, he shares a great example. And he says, you know, listen, you know, as followers of Jesus, we can't pat ourselves on the back. We can't uh, get too high on our horses because the reality is, is that sometimes the, the angry and bad attitude people uh, that we see come out of followers of Jesus Christ. And he shares an instance uh, Joshua Ferenstein started the 2015 Starbucks Red Cup controversy. I remember when that happened because it was all over social media. And when he started this, people were saying uh, that Christians were upset, um, uh, though uh, really the outrage was really mostly on Facebook. But he posted a message uh, about something that uh, he wanted everybody to hear. And he basically posted this. So I'll quote it. Starbucks removed Christmas from their cups because they hate Jesus. That's what he posted. And he tagged the media to attract attention. So, you know, without fail, the outrage cycle began. Now, of course, Starbucks denied the accusations. They assured worried Christians everywhere that they were welcome to say Merry Christmas to their heart's content and insisted that the company did not hate Christmas or followers of Christ. But I wonder. I wonder what the conversation was like in the boardroom of Starbucks that day, whose basic mission statement is to make the best cup of coffee that can be made. You know, do you think they were saying, you know, those Christians are fair-minded, they're gracious, they're thoughtful? I don't think that's what they were saying. Uh, they were probably throwing their hands up and wondering what's going on. You know, the reality is this, is that uh, Joshua Ferenstein tried to use Christian outrage to raise his personal social platform. Uh, the news and opinion website Vox explained that he uh, knew Starbucks outrage. Uh, this video would be the biggest of his social media career and that it stemmed from 
uh, conservative Christian belief that there was a war on Christmas that happens every holiday season, that Christians are persecuted by companies. Now, of course, it would be interesting and maybe outrageous if what Starbucks was doing was true. But Ferenstein's most blatant untruth and reason for all of the current fervor over that 2015 Red Cup is the implication that Starbucks once printed Christmas on their cups. It couldn't be further from the truth. Starbucks is not a Christian company. They never say Merry Christmas on their cups. They've never done anything like that. Yes, they show holiday colors and they show holiday themed images, but that's not their mission. The mission of Christians is to say Merry Christmas. That's not the mission of that company. But basically, Joshua Ferenstein grabbed onto something that he knew would raise outrage and ratchet it up, particularly amongst Christians. Christians, and he tagged media outlets so that it would be passed through all of social media all over, and it would get people dealing with what he had posted. It would, it would favor him. But really what it did show, unfortunately, was uh, the sinful side, the negative side of followers of Christ because the things that were said and posted and printed and the outrage uh, that happened wasn't God honoring. You would think that somebody had broken into churches and desecrated altars and that things had happened just because of what was posted on Facebook. But that's the deal with outrage. You know, sometimes People further outrage for their own purpose. And sometimes we get so ramped up in it, we don't even know if where it started from was truth. So as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to recognize that the words that we speak and the words that we post or the words that we promote further on have weight and consequences. If we want to be outraged... Be outraged about things like this, about terrorism, about, uh, you know, uh, trafficking of women, uh, about uh, people that are addicted to opioids. Be outraged about that. The reality is we have to recognize that there are some things that are the heart of God and we need to stick to that and make sure that we speak words that are truthful and honoring about those things. I want us all to recognize how our words can be used. They can be used for good or they can be used for evil. That's what James is getting at in chapter 3. He's going to talk a lot about words this morning. And the first thing that I want you to do is to understand this, that, that our words have weight. So understand the weight of your words. The first two verses of James chapter 3 are this. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, James is doing two things here. First of all, he's reminded that those of us who teach need to recognize that we'll be judged more strictly by God. We need to understand that what we're doing is teaching the word of God, and we need to do it to the best of our ability to honor God. 
I still remember when I told my parents I was going to become a pastor, how proud my parents were of me. And I remember the years that went by and my mom would always be glowing about me and saying how proud she was and and that I was, of course, going to be very blessed because I was a pastor. And you know what? What I was thinking, I was thinking of this verse. That those that teach the word of God are going to be judged more strictly by God. There is weight in our words. There is power in our words. Now, for those of you who think, well, whew, I'm glad I don't teach God's word because I won't be judged more strictly. Let's look at that second verse because in that second verse, this is what James is saying. He's saying we all make mistakes. And if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and we could also control everything in our lives. He's basically saying, listen, we all are responsible for how we speak. And we can't escape the weight of our words. He's telling us that, that really, when it comes to what we say, we'll be judged of whether we used our words for good or we used our words for evil. If we used our words to build up or used them to tear down. And then James goes and pushes deeper into this. He's talks, he talks about uh, taming the tongue Uh, The tongue that all of us have that we use to form words. So let's start at verse 3. He's going to press into these metaphors. When you put bits in the mouths of horses, it makes them obey us. We can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it in, in it is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So, you know, James is saying some things about our tongue, and he he wants us to remind that though it's small, it's powerful, and he uses some great illustrations. He tells us, you know, the the bit in a horse's mouth and its bridle can can steer uh, an animal that's thousands of pounds. You know, that bit is about five inches uh, wide, long, and it's probably less than an inch around. And it can steer a horse that's thousands of pounds. Now, you, you know, when he talks about uh, ships. He's really in first century uh, world. They're only ships that are sail uh, sailboats, but they can be steered by a very small rudder. Yes, the wind propels it, but the rudder steers that ship wherever it wants to go, wherever the pilot wants it to go. And then he talks about uh, how forest fires start. Now, if you're like me, you were raised with commercials about sm- from Smokey the Bear. And Smokey the Bear said it only takes a spark to start a forest fire. And we know that. We know that. And then he compares the tongue to all of that and, and said it, it's a world of evil that, that's waiting to escape, that it's actually set on fire by hell itself, realizing he's really condemning what our tongues can do in their most evil way. And he says, no one can tame it. 
No one can tame it. The reality is without Jesus, it can't be tamed. You know, the reality is this. When we use our tongues for evil, even sometimes when we just react and use it for evil, it's sin. And we need to confess that sin. And because we've believed in Jesus and asked him for forgiveness and started to follow him as our Lord and Savior, he will forgive us whenever we confess our sins. So if you've never decided to follow Jesus, I encourage you to. You'll receive forgiveness for all of your sins and he'll also be willing to forgive you as you continue to follow him and you make mistakes. Because the reality is this, every Christian is a human being and we all make mistakes. I I was thinking about just the power of what we say, the power of our tongue, the power of words. And and I I couldn't help but think about a couple of instances in my life uh, from teachers you know, uh, some of you have heard the story about uh, my high school teacher. He was the phys ed, coach, uh, phys ed teacher, but he also ended up being my, my football coach. I just moved in from out of town, and uh, maybe I had the audacity to tell him that I had played quarterback in my previous uh, place where I lived. And, um, and, you know, I was the low man on the totem pole, basically, and he decided to begin to pick on me verbally, and, and he would use me uh, for a foil for his jokes. He would put me down all the time, make fun of me, and, uh, you know, that really uh, describes that season with him. I, you know, my um, self-esteem was uh, in the tank, and uh, why I continue just tells you something about how stubborn I could be because um, I think I only started one game and that was on the kickoff team. And part of that was because he intimidated me so much verbally that he had no self-confidence. Now, to make matters worse, I go out for baseball and guess what? He's the baseball coach. <laughs> All right. Well, already I'm, I'm, uh, I'm intimidated and uh, I couldn't make... Uh, a a right play during that whole tryout season. And of course, I didn't make the team. I didn't deserve to make the team because I stunk, all right? But I stunk not because I didn't have skills, but because I was so intimidated that I would, he would yell at me that I couldn't make the play. He used his words to tear down. Fast forward a couple of decades. I really sensed that God was calling me. I was a pastor now. I've been a pastor at this point for almost 13 years. Uh, I was pastoring a church as a senior pastor, and I really sensed that God was calling me to start a new church, to plant a church. And so I I said, well, God, uh, I know you're calling me to do this. I'm going to learn everything I can about church planting. So I read books. I went to seminars. I found out the local seminary offered a course in church planting. So I signed up. And I remember the first day of class, the the professor came in. He introduced himself. His name was Paul Johnson. And he, he had all of us introduce ourselves. So he got to learn a little bit about us. I learned a little bit about him. He was uh, a church planter. He had planted multiple churches. He and his wife were currently planting a, a church that had grown quickly and it was large and it was thriving. Um, and, uh, you know, and so not only was he a pastor and a church planter and now a professor at a seminary, he was also le- leading a movement of church planters. He wanted to, to see churches planted all across the nation, all around the world. And uh, he was part of a movement uh, that I wasn't part of, and he knew I was probably not going to plant a church with that movement, but I still forget his, I'll never forget his words. He said, Clark, uh, you've got gifts. Uh, You've got uh, 
a call in your life. You've got talents, and, and I want you to plant a church, and I don't care who you plant it with because I want to see people come to Christ. Those were words of life. Um, and so with that kind of encouragement, I moved to Connecticut and planted a church called Valley Brook Community Church. Do you, you see the difference? Words that tear down. Uh, you know, I couldn't make a right play uh, on the football team. Guess what? The next year, my junior year, I went out for the football team hoping I wouldn't be on the JV. That's what that coach coach that I'd make the varsity. I didn't make the varsity. I had the same football coach again. It was another miserable experience. There, you know, the reality is this. Words can build up or they can tear down. So we need to, to tame our tongue. It's so important that, that we understand that. And still today, I remember both of those stories, both of those experiences. One, I always want to steer away from. The other one is a role model to me. Now, from taming the tongue, James goes and he talks about what I call duplicity. So let's talk about that. I, I say we need to despise duplicity. Let's look at verse 9 and following. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James is dealing with duplicity. He's basically saying, how can we praise God and then curse people? Uh, our mouths are duplicitous. We can praise our creator, but then curse the creator's creations. How do we do that? And he brings this, these pictures into mind. You know, he said, you know, you can't get... Uh, fresh water from a salt water spring and you can't get salt water from a fresh water spring. And he points out this, this image that everybody would see. You know, you don't go up to a fig tree to get grapes. You don't go up to an apple tree to get pears. You don't go up to a peach tree uh, to get figs. It's this idea that a fruit tree bears the fruit after what it's named. He's getting at this whole idea that, that we actually talked about in our life group on Friday night. We, we were talking about the, the scripture that says faith without deeds is, is dead. This idea that if we say we're a follower of Jesus, if we truly mean it, he comes into our lives and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins to change us. He transforms us so that how we live represents Jesus. And I think about that in my own life. When I came to, to faith in, in Jesus, I was 19 years old, living a typical college life. But when I decided to accept him as my Lord and Savior, I really meant it. And he changed me. I didn't recognize he was changing me, but things just began to be different. You know, I didn't have a, a list of, of things that I was supposed to do, but what I began to feel was some discomfort in my life about how I used to live. Uh, I cursed and I began to feel this discomfort that, you know, I, I can't say, you know, Jesus, I love you. And then in the next sentence, say blankety blank blank. You see, it was a transformation. It was something that happened internally. It was something that the Holy Spirit did that I didn't decide to do. And, and that's what happens when we let Jesus into our lives and we realize that we can't praise 
God and then curse humans. It doesn't mean we'll be perfect, but that there becomes an incompatibility there. Now, I'm always impressed as I read through the book of James that I, I see hints of the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus had a huge impact on him. Uh, I've said this earlier in the series. Uh, James was the half-brother of Jesus, all right? Um, you know, Mary and Joseph were James' parents. Mary was, uh, you know, Jesus' mother, the Holy Spirit. Uh, God was the father of Jesus. He was the son of God. Um, and so uh, James is his half-brother. And so isn't it amazing to see how much he uh, revered his brother, called him Lord, called him Savior and let his teaching be reflected in his letter. So let me ask you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12 and look at Jesus' teaching right here. Jesus says, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of their good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day. For every idle word you speak, the words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. You can hear the teaching of Jesus in James' words, but, but listen to what Jesus is saying. He says, he says we have a, a treasury in us. In other words, the Holy Spirit has come into us to dwell in us, to live in us, and to help us see that Jesus not only died for us as our Savior and, and gives us eternal life, but he wants to be our leader the Lord of our lives. And it's out of that treasury of, of that good Holy Spirit that good things come out. Now again, we won't be perfect. We'll make mistakes. But Jesus has already told us when we make mistakes, we confess it. And he'll forgive us and he'll purify us. And then we can continue to follow him. It's that idea that we understand that we don't want to be duplicitous in our words, that we want what we say to be God-honoring, and we want to mean it. I, I was taken uh, by uh, the words of a song by Hawk Ness Nelson. You may know it. It's called Words. Uh, and uh, Jonathan Steingard uh, wrote a song, this song called Words, and um, he said, I wanted it to focus on uh, how impacting we can be in the lives of people around us with just our words. And about the song, he said, you know, the chorus of the song was really a prayer. And the chorus says this, let my words be life. Let my words be truth. I don't want to say a word unless it points back to you. Let my words be life. Let my words be truth. Let my words point back to God. What a powerful prayer. So, I think back to where we started about the polarization and the angry words and the anger and sentiment in our country. And, uh, you know, I realized that uh, so often this is ramped up and ratcheted up by, uh, you know, people focusing on the wrong thing. And what we focus on is what we hear on the 24-7 news stream. It's what we read on social media. But as followers of Jesus Christ, 
We have God's word. And that's what we need to focus on. And we need to let that be our guide. And so we can learn to, to speak words of truth and words of life and words that honor God. Now, let me remind you, that doesn't mean that we'll agree with everything everybody says. It doesn't mean that we'll see everything from the same point of view. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to see things from a biblical worldview. But how we communicate that, how we disagree with others is important. Does it speak life? Does it speak truth? Does it point people back to God? You know, I was thinking about this. Um, if you look at what pollsters say about the number of followers of Jesus in our nation, it says about 71% of the population in the United States claims to be followers of Jesus Christ. And so uh, with that in mind, I just think about what if, what if the body of Christ said, you know what? I'm going to dial down the anger and the outrage. I want to recognize that when I communicate, I want it to be God honoring. And I want to communicate uh, words of love. Even when I feel passionately about somebody, I want to speak in a way that honors God and cares for others. What would happen if you and I did that in our homes, in our neighborhoods, with our extended family, at work, at school, in places of government? It would transform lives, communities, towns, states, a nation, a world. You know, we talk about loving God and loving people, and that will change the world. Folks, if we love God with our mouths and if we love people with our words, Jesus will use that to change the world. There's so much in Scripture that talks about how we use our words. Uh, when I prayed before this message, I, I, I loosely quoted a, a verse from Psalm 19, so I'll, I'll share it with you now. It's going to be on the screen. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You know, that, that was a prayer of the psalmist. He was saying, listen, I want the words of my mouth, but even before that, where they form the meditations of my heart. I want those to be acceptable in your sight, God. You're my rock. You're my redeemer. I want what I say, even how I think about others. Because remember what Jesus said from the reservoir of your heart will come good things or bad things. So as followers of Jesus Christ, First, we have to decide what are we going to meditate on? What are we going to focus on in the reservoir of our heart? It's got to be God and his goodness and the things of God and his word. And from that, God is going to use that to influence how we speak. When we agree with others and when we disagree with others. So the psalmist wrote this scripture as a prayer. And I, I want us to make it a prayer of our hearts today. So uh, I'm going to invite you to pray this with me. It's just this phrase. It's on the screen behind me. Uh, would you just join me in, in making this your prayer this morning? 
May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray it out loud again. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What if we prayed that every day? What if you took that as a screenshot and put it on your phone so every time you turned your phone on, that's what you saw and you could pray it before you called somebody, before you went on to social media, uh, before you texted somebody. God would use that to transform our conversations. I want to encourage you to live out what you say you believe. I, I want to encourage you to, to take that step to say, listen, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and so I want my words to speak life and to speak truth and to point people to God. And the only way we can do that is if the meditations of our heart and our mouth are acceptable in God's sight. So I want to pray that for me and for you today. Would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you that you love us so much, that you give us your word, and it speaks life to us, and it speaks truth to us, and yes, it always points us back to you. Lord, we know that we are sinful people, so Lord, we confess. We confess to you right now that we have not honored you with our words, that we've spoken uh, death over people, uh, that we've oftentimes not spoken the truth and many times our words have not pointed back to you. So Lord, forgive us of that sin, those sins. Purify us from that unrighteousness. And now Lord, we commit to you to let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart speak life and truth and point people back to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we uh, are released today, I just want to give you a couple of things to do. If you want to pray with somebody today, prayer team members will be up here after the service. They would love to pray with you with whatever's going on in your life, what's going through your heart this morning. Um, I know Molly had to leave because she had a family engagement, but she left materials out on her table in the cafe. So pick up her her materials, and I'm sure she would love to hear from you with a phone call or an email, so please do that. Um, just encourage her in the, in the ministry that God's given her, if nothing else. Um, Growth Track today, Growth Track is our uh, series of classes that we use to help people go deeper in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So if, if you haven't taken step two, it's going to start uh, roughly at, uh, at 12.30, 12.45, something like that. So stop by the venue, pay attention to when that cranks up, and, and uh, you'll see Mike True and Trend down there and, uh, you know, go in there and, and take step two. Um, and I just encourage you to connect with one another out in the cafe and uh, be the body a living out, speaking words of life and truth and pointing people back to God, even this morning. Let me give you the final blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.